0: a sense of dread from our awareness of our sin in the light of your perfection. But that awareness is your loving gift of mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom you have poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So, Father, speak to us now through your word and through your servant, so that our dread is balanced with comfort through your unchanging promise of love for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It was wonderful uh, to sing Come People of the Risen King this morning because it was just a rejoice song. It was just rejoicing together. And I love being in the company of the saints every week when we come together and worship. But it's not uncommon for Christians to sometimes feel abandoned by God and to even fear their eternal future. Maybe you felt that way. I know that I have. It's those times when the ceiling seems to be made of brass and your prayers simply go unheard. It doesn't seem like God can even hear your cries to him. It's one of those dry valleys that we sometimes have to walk through in our Christian life. They do come often after those mountaintop experiences. For about 11 years, I've been a writer for an internet ministry called gotquestions.org, and several times a year, someone will ask and I will answer. Uh, They write in, afraid that they aren't really saved or they're afraid that they've lost their salvation. It's usually prompted by some sin or tragedy that makes them feel like God has abandoned them. Well, if you can relate to any of this, then the message this morning from Genesis 28 is for you. In recent sermons, we've seen the tragic results of a family in strife. Abraham's son Isaac and his wife Rebekah have divided their loyalty between their twin sons Esau, who was the firstborn, and Jacob. And the division is over God's promise to Abraham that through him all of the families of the earth would be blessed. That promise Abraham passed on as God commanded to Isaac. And Isaac was to pass it on to Jacob. But he wants to give it to Esau. But even before the twins were born, God had revealed to Rebekah, and Rebekah had shared with Isaac, that the blessing would pass to Jacob, not Esau. But despite God's clear command, Isaac, Rebekah, and the brothers fight and deceive, and they try to assert their will over and against God's will. I invite you to open your Bible to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. In this message titled, Stairway to Heaven, we will see that a proper fear of of the Lord is a necessary gift from God that is important for every believer. That's the one big idea I want to draw out of these verses. It's again on the top of your handout. It's this, the fear of the Lord is is God's gracious gift to assure his people of his faithful love and his presence. Now the exact words fear of the Lord occur 26 times in the Old Testament and twice in the New Testament. But the concept is in hundreds of other verses. We've all heard fear of the Lord means a reverential respect or an awe, but the Greek and the Hebrew words used in the Bible for fear is a word that means fear. Charles Spurgeon is helpful with this. He says, Fear of the Lord is demonstrated by our humble, childlike reverence, by walking in His laws, having respect for His will, and trembling in fear of offending him as we hasten to serve him. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Well, if fear of the Lord is a source of life that causes us to turn away from the ways of death, then truly it is a gift from God for us. Now, we gain further insight in this as we look at Genesis 28 in four parts. First, Esau's rebellion. Second, God's revelation, followed by Jacob's response, and then finally, the real meaning of Jacob's ladder. So. Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin in verse 10 and read through verse 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Please be seated, and may God bless the reading of his word to us. Well, let's begin with Esau's rebellion. It's actually described in verses 1 through 9, and in these verses, verse 1, uh, Isaac calls Jacob and blesses to him. Now, he's, Isaac has already been deceived and has given the blessing by what he thinks is his mistake to Jacob, even though he wanted to give it to Esau. Well, now Isaac calls Jacob and he blesses him and he sends him away to Rebekah's uncle Laban in Haran for two reasons. First, he knows that Esau has threatened to kill his brother. Second, he knows that the blessing is not for the Canaanites. Look at verse 3. Isaac says this. He says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to you. Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau are in the land of Canaan. But there's nothing in this blessing that's for the Canaanites. They're the occupiers of the land, but they're excluded from the blessing. Now, the words here, company of peoples, it adds a new richness to this blessing because it's a Hebrew word that means church. It's the first time it's used in the Old Testament, and it points to the exclusive nature of the blessing, and by doing so, it serves as a warning to Esau, who has already married two Canaanite women. It serves as a warning to Esau that this is God's work. Be warned and step back. Now remember, we learned in chapter 27 that at this early stage in the redemptive story, the redemptive history, no one really understood this God who had called Abraham. They didn't really understand. Much like their pagan neighbors who viewed the blessings from idols as some sort of magic, Isaac, Rebecca, and the boys thought of God's Abrahamic blessing as magic, something that could be manipulated by their actions. Now remember, Isaac learned differently back in chapter 27 when he realized that he had been tricked, not so much by Rebekah and Jacob, but by the God who was orchestrating all of his actions. And he trembled uncontrollably, according to Genesis 27, verse 33. And that was from, remember, his close encounter of the real kind with the real God. Suddenly Isaac realized who he was dealing with, or better said, who was dealing with him. Isaac suddenly feared the Lord, but not Esau. Still thinking it's some kind of magic, he marries another Canaanite woman, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar. But God didn't choose Ishmael. Abraham knew that, Isaac knew that, Esau knew that. He chose Isaac. So there's no blessing in that line from Abraham. But Esau didn't understand any of this. Which is why he really reminds us of Adam and Eve's first son, Cain. Now in Genesis 4-7, when God rejected Cain's insincere offering, God told him this. He said, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Or its desire is for you, but you must do well. But Cain didn't do well. He didn't rule over it. Instead, he killed his brother Abel. It was an act of open rebellion against God. Because his heart was dead to God, and therefore he had no real fear of God. And Esau's actions show that his heart, like Cain's, is also dead. So here is our first fill-in. then, God's grace withheld is the root, and active rebellion is the fruit of failing to fear God grace withheld results in active rebellion as the fruit of our failure to fear God Paul's words in Ephesians 2.8 explain why sin is the ever-present problem for humanity in the world Paul writes this he says for by grace You are saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's a gift from God. The gift is faith by grace. And it brings understanding through a heart made alive to God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, God's gift, graciously, of faith, to us brings understanding it brings the rebel to reconciliation it brings the sinner to salvation and it brings those in darkness into the light of understanding god and his sovereign power over his creation isn't that a wonderful gift by faith alone grace withheld means the sinner continues in ignorance never understanding the one who must be feared and thus remains in open rebellion. He has no fear of the judge of all creation, who alone should be feared. But standing in contrast to Esau is Jacob. Now, having received Isaac's blessing, Jacob uh, flees from Beersheba. His flight brings brings us to the second point, which is God's revelation to Jacob. Now, Esau is a hunter. Jacob is a homebody, a tent maker, helps his mom, which is good. But Jacob then rightly fears his brother, who is a man of the wilderness, who is a hunter. He wanted Jacob. He wanted the blessing enough to lie and deceive and even take God's name in vain. But now what? He's cast out. He's running for his life. Look at verse 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Notice the narrator emphasizes this place by saying place three times. Because unbeknownst to Jacob, God has led him to the very point where Abraham first built an altar when he entered the land of Canaan. Jacob had only heard about God from his grandfather and his father. He had never encountered God, but that's about to change. Look at verse 12. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. Now, Jacob's dream isn't a common dream. We all have those common dreams. The Hebrew word used here indicates a dream with prophetic meaning. Stairway is actually a better word than ladder because it holds a stream of angels who are ascending and descending on this this stairway with God standing on the top. Now, Jacob must have been terrified Because he knew from his earliest days that the demand God had made on his grandfather and his father and all through his family line, that that God was a God who commanded holiness and obedience. And now this God has revealed himself to Jacob. And Jacob knows his life deserves only judgment and condemnation. But to his surprise, God extends the covenant promise to him, the promise of a land, offspring as numerous as the dust of the earth, who would spread to the east and west, to the north and south, and in your offspring all of the families of the earth will be blessed. It's the same promise given to Abraham, the great promise of Genesis 12. Now it's given to Jacob, the deceiver, and it's given to him, Directly from God. But God's not finished. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God makes a threefold vow here. First, I am with you. Now, in Jacob's world, gods were territorial. So they provided protection over the people in certain territories or areas. But it was limited to their immediate territory. Dagon was the god of the coastal people. He was limited to the coastal area. All we know of that one is the god from up in the north and to the east of, of Canaan. In Canaan itself, Ashtoreth and Baal were worshipped. They were territorial gods. But God is saying here he has no limits. And he will be with Jacob and he will protect Jacob even as Jacob goes into those other areas where supposedly these other gods had influence. No, God says, I will be with you. Then he says, I will keep you wherever you go. Now, the Hebrew word translated keep here is a word for shepherd. It's shepherd language. And it's the same word that's used in Psalm 121, where it says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, Jacob's ancestors and Jacob's offspring, they're shepherds. They would understand this shepherd language. And as David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23, Israel would take great comfort through their history and all of the problems and trials that they faced, knowing that God had promised their ancestor Jacob that he would keep them, he would shepherd them, his rod and his staff would comfort them. Now the same promise is true today for all of God's people. He will keep Third, God says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, this is the most specific of all because it means that unlike Cain or Esau, Jacob would not be a fugitive. He would not be a sojourner because God would bring him and his offspring back to this land as he first promised to Abraham. God will do all of this for Jacob and his offspring because they deserved it. No. No. It's because of his mercy, and he does it for his glory. That brings us to the second fill-in then. God's promises are undeserved and cannot be taken only received with gratitude and thanksgiving can't be taken they can only be received the belief that that God's promises were somehow deserved or under human control was the error that tore Isaac's family apart That error, same error, would later destroy Israel's witness as they were to be a light for the peoples around them as God led them into the promised land. It's the error that remains today, both in and outside of the church, as we see the incoherence of our leaders who claim to have faith while approving unprecedented levels of sin in our society. It's an error we can only avoid by embracing with faith that we've been given and with gratitude the fear of the Lord that leads us to obedience and humble service. It's a gift. So this brings us into Jacob's response. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, in the Bible, when God appears to people, their immediate reaction is always to fall face down in terror because. God's holy, pure, brilliant, full, and infinite perfection, there is nothing like it in our experience. There's nothing like it in this world. There's nothing we encounter that can prepare us for such a, an encounter, which is why the sudden presence of the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God unhinges people. It's the ultimate want-to-get-away moment. But Jacob's a captive audience in his dream, and rightly he is afraid. When he awakes, his fear increases because he realizes that it's true. He's in the house of God, and he's seen the gate of heaven. Now, in the past, human effort to reach the gate of heaven resulted in judgment, like it did for the builders of the Tower of Babel. But Jacob's dream is God's revelation to bring him the blessing of a fear of the Lord. And Jacob makes a threefold vow in response. First, he vows that God will be his God and he will worship him in gratitude for the rest of his life. Second, he vows to make this place God's house. And that is a pledge that he will keep as he builds an altar to the Lord in Bethel later in Genesis 35. And third, he pledges to God a tenth of his wealth. Reminds you of Melchizedek and Abraham back in Genesis 18. So Jacob's response then is our final fill-in. And it kind of mirrors the first one. God's gift of faith is the root of the fear of the Lord that brings fruits of awe, obedience, and gratitude and drives out our fear. Drives out our fear. How gracious of our God to give his people faith. As Paul says in Ephesians, by grace, God came to Jacob at Bethel, gave him faith. And Jacob responded properly with a fear of the Lord. And his threefold vow of worship, obedience, and gratitude only comes through this gift of a fear of the Lord. And that vow that Jacob makes here will serve him well through the events to come in his life. Well, that brings us then to the best part of all. This is the best part of all. It's the reality of Jacob's Ladder. Maybe you remember the old praise chorus, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We sang that when I was a child in church. It's actually an African-American spiritual from the early 1800s, and it became the first um, African-American hymn that white Christians uh, began to sing. But unfortunately, it misses the point of Jacob's dream. The ladder Jacob saw cannot be climbed by humans because the New Testament reveals the ladder is simply a shadow of the reality of Jesus Christ and his work to justify sinners. The angels ascending and descending the stairway represent the glorious presence of God, and the presence of God is not a place where sinful creatures can be. Jacob was an unrepentant liar. Jacob was a cheat His name means deceiver. And here he sees a stairway that connects earth to heaven. Now, why would God come into Jacob's life like this? Or maybe a better question is, how could heaven be open to Jacob? The answer came centuries later when a new disciple of Jesus named Philip went to his friend Nathaniel, and he said, Come with me. I have seen the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel scoffed. Ha! He said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But he went to see Jesus. Listen, uh, listen as I read John 1, verses 47 through 51. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There can't be a more amazing claim in the entire Bible, than Jesus has just made. Now, in ancient occult and astrology religions, they believed there was what was called an axis mundi, an axis mundi. It's a Latin term that means the point where they believed that earth and heaven were connected. Now, the earliest example we know, it's in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, But the idea continues even today in mystery religions where symbols like a mountain or a tree or a totem show a pilgrim how to ascend to heaven through his obedience and good works. So if Jesus had said, I can show you the gate of heaven, that would have been a claim to be a prophet of a cult. But that's not what he said. He's not saying he's a prophet. He's saying, I am the axis mundi. Heaven and earth connect on me. It's my living and dying and rising again that will bring the Spirit of God into the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. Our great Savior has opened the impenetrable barrier between God and us so that we can come to God the Father Because Jesus the Son is the stairway to heaven. We don't climb the stairs to righteousness. Righteousness comes down to us in the perfect righteousness that Jesus earned for everyone who trusts in him for salvation. For everyone who trusts in him for salvation. Christ's righteousness given by faith This is the heart of the gospel. It's not what we do. It's what's been done by Jesus on our behalf. And our fear is awe and reverence for the God who loved us first and then draws us to the stairway to heaven, which is Jesus Christ. Jacob didn't climb anything. Once again, the patriarch was asleep. Heaven has come down to earth because of God's great love to send Jesus to rescue us. And boy, how did howdy did we need rescuing in Luke twelve Jesus says this, he says, "Do not fear those who kill the body, for after that there's nothing they can do, but I will warn you to fear him who has the authority to cast into hell. his warning strengthens the faith that God has given us. It doesn't cause us to question our salvation. It doesn't cause us to question whether or not God has abandoned us. It doesn't cause us to wonder if we're really saved. This strengthens our faith and our assurance because we believe the warning because of the gift of faith that brings us to properly fear the Lord. If you didn't believe this warning, you wouldn't have the proper fear of the Lord, and that means you hadn't gotten the gift of faith that gives you the proper fear of the Lord that makes you believe this warning. That's usually the answer I will give the people that write. His gift of faith comes from his love, which then puts love in our hearts. And as John writes in his first letter, 1 John 4, He says that casts out worldly fear and it mediates our fear of God with the knowledge of his love. It's a balancing act here. Our fear and our love are then combined by the Spirit who leads us to obey from gratitude, being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And we then share this joy with others because we believe Jesus when he said, fear not, little flock. There's that shepherd language again for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can't climb there. So for all of us, Jacobs, who know we've fallen far short and we lament over what we've done to ruin our lives in various ways and we shed our tears on our stone pillars or pillows, there is hope. God has brought heaven to earth in Jesus Christ. He's put love and faith and the proper fear in our hearts. And his angels continue to ascend and descend on him as a care for those that he has bought with his precious blood. That was Jacob's hope. That was his comfort on that light night long ago in Bethel. That is what he saw when he saw that stairway. And that became then Israel's hope and comfort, knowing their father Jacob had seen that ladder and that God had revealed what that ladder was. And that's our even more confident hope because we know that what they saw in shadows, we have seen in the reality, in the life, death, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to heaven of Jesus Christ. We know that he is our stairway from heaven. And he will bring us finally home. So I would encourage you to take heart and remain steadfast, Christians. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray.